0: can we speak in disagreement with a Christian accent when it comes to the way we go about voicing our our theological convictions?
1: Welcome to the 2022 edition of the Recovering Hypocrite podcast, and this is uh, the official first episode of the year. In fact, it's the first official episode, I think, in like nine months because, you know, 2021 was a beast. So I am your host, and the Chief Recovering hypocrite Around These Parts, old Jesse Hakenin. And I am just excited to dive into this new season of the podcast. And here's the main reason. I am just looking around at the culture in which we live, and there are some really, really important issues bubbling up, and yet people don't seem to know how to talk about these really hard issues in a way that isn't polemic. And if you don't know what that word means, it just means pushing things out to the edge. Everything is polemic, push out to the edge. I want to be ironic, which is pulling things in together to seek peace, in conversations. And so my first guest of the year, I knew exactly who I wanted to have is my friend, uh, Adam Ramsey. And the reason I wanted to have Adam on is not just because he's a blast, but because he has just recently written a new book. And so Adam super excited to have you on. It's good to finally see your face. So good to see you, Noel. It's been a long 2020, but here we are
0: (laughs) Still, (laughs) still longing to get back together, but we'll get there.
1: I heard somebody say the other day that 2022 sounds a lot like 2020,
0: (laughs) comma, (laughs) T-O-O. That meme is too real. It's still too soon.
1: (laughs) It is. And so what I want to do is I want to start out uh, by giving everybody three known biographical facts about you, and then let you give us three things that they may not know. So here's the three I've got for you today. Okay. First, uh, you are pastor at Liberty Church in Australia. Second, you are a second time guest on this podcast. Last time you were on, you talked about the topic of joy and it was awesome having you on here. And the third is that you are the author of this new book, which is killing it in Australia and the UK and New Zealand here and even here, the US called Truth on Fire. And what I loved in the book is you described yourself and all Christians as recovering control freaks. And I thought that fits well for this podcast.
0: It totally works because we are, and that's where you know a good, a good and right view of God's sovereignty helps us recover well that we don't need to be in control because He is, and He's kind of good at it. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yes. So, give us three things that people may not know about you. Three biographical facts.
0: Sure. Okay. So we we have five kids, and the last two of them came at the same time in our first year of church planting. So we have, a, we have a pair of twins who are now nearly seven years old. Our church is just about to turn seven years old as well. We had the twins six weeks after our official launch Sunday in 2015. So I don't remember 2015 at all. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just happy to be alive. Well, so you live that's, in Australia.
1: You should be happy to be alive every second of every day because everything <laughs> in that country can kill you. Every day,
0: uh, okay. That that can maybe here's the second fact. I'm currently recording this 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 podcast with you, Noel, while I'm at home with COVID. So if I cough a little through here, don't worry, it can't come through the airwaves. But it's that that's where I'm at right now. But listen, here's, here's fact number two. I know a lot of people have struggled with COVID. It's been it's been a, a gross week for me as well. But add this into the mix. Imagine having COVID. And then late one night, you sneak out of your study where your mattress is to take the, the trash out, the garbage out to bless your wife and family and maybe do some dishes while they are all on their beds and wearing a mask and everything. And, and, and as I take it out and come back in, this crazy looking spider jumps on my <sighs> neck, like on the back of my <laughs> neck and I felt it. And, and I went to whack it off and then it bit me really, really hard <laughs> as I go to whack this thing <laughs> no. off. And, and then I I say a really bad word really loudly. And my six year old daughter uh, is standing right there by her door and and learns a new word. And imagine all of that happening, Noel, while you have COVID. That's COVID down under. So I think that's how superhero movies and plot lines start. So we'll see if anything develops for me personally with COVID spider powers. The third interesting fact, I've, I lived in the USA for about 10 years of my life. And so my wife is American born. She's now dual citizen. But, but we met in Colorado and I lived in Denver, Portland and Seattle for a total of about 10 years over three, three different stints
1: that's great so uh, i want to talk to you more about just you know what can kill you in australia but we probably have other topics (laughs) at hand so so in your new book i just want to just dive right in the reason i knew i was going to love the book besides the fact that you wrote it um, was the very first page the acknowledgement says to liberty which by the way the name of your church just rocks because liberty jesus is with us onward we stumble Mm -hmm. And I just think we live in an age right now where it it almost feels like we put on a a facade of transparency, but to Mm -hmm. really just say, hey, even any of our forward progress that we have, even in our faith, is a stumble. And -hmm. I just want to thank you for your acknowledgement at the beginning, because that was the perfect way to start this book
0: that that's become somewhat of a mantra around our church okay well onward we stumble and and i think it actually came from an email i got from ray ortland who wrote the foreword for the book and this was back when we had him out in australia in 2018 i think and it was just a little throwaway line he said at the end of the email okay well onward we stumble And, and I read that and went, those three words really do sum up the Christian life. And it just started to come out in in my own, you know, language. And now in our culture, for for liberty, we want to have gospel doctrine and gospel culture. So the idea of stumbling onward as a metaphor for lived Christianity, that's not this over-realized, you know, hey, everything's triumphalistic, everything's, you know, peppy and wonderful and whatever. Uh, sometimes it's just falling forward. We, we really embrace that.
1: Well, even the way you talked about prayer in your book, you talked about prayer as an acknowledgement of weakness. Just even our, you know, our relationship with the Father in our prayer life is acknowledging i i can't do this i don't have this sorted out which i was thinking how so often with people's prayer lives it's like no i have this figured out i have the plan so now i'm going to go to god and ask him to bless the plan that i in my great wisdom have created but you sure. flip the script on that even in talking about prayer
0: i think prayer in its when it's when it's truly christian praying is the expression of humility it's total helplessness casting itself on the omnipotence and sovereignty and might and wisdom of god and and i think to, to even flip that i think one of the greatest expressions of pride in our lives is revealed to us in the mirror of our own prayer life we can mm. we we can identify obvious kinds of pride like boasting and name dro- name dropping and things like that you know pretty easily we, we kind of sniff that a long way away But prayerlessness really is self-reliance in its most true and ugly form. And so I know when I'm most prayerless, that is when I am most proud, most Adam Ramsey-centered, and most in need of coming to God with open hands again that seeks his way and will not mine.
1: In your introduction, you wrote, one of the great tragedies of this present generation of Christians has been the divorce between theological and experiential Christianity, what if we didn't have to choose between an intelligent faith and a passionate one? Talk about that a
0: little bit. The book is really, in one sense, my testimony, and it's looking to combine these two realities of theological, you know, Bible-literate, driven Christianity, but in a way that That good theology and sound doctrine, and that's really, really important, doesn't become an end because it isn't an end. It's a means towards the right end, which is God himself and an experience of God that's now lived. Uh, in the day-to-day, you know, of our lives. And so, so I, I, I want to see these two teams that are often like the, the theological thinker types and they don't really do a whole lot with the feeler experiential types, you know, and that's that's kind of my, I grew up in, in experience-driven churches that had, they were very pragmatic, there was a lot of passion, there was uh, a lot of emotion involved, and, and some of that's really, really great. But in those churches, the Bible was helpful, but it wasn't central. And I think there's a, a huge danger in that for becoming anchorless and creating experiences of God that actually don't line up with scripture at all. That's, that's really dangerous territory. And then in my late teens, early 20s, I, I reformed in my theology and found this whole new tribe, if you will, who are committed to you know a high view of scripture and and the sacraments and expository preaching and systematic theology and they all love the Puritans and you know it's like this 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 whole new world, this ecosystem. And, and often I found in that ecosystem this coldness and and joylessness and a readiness to to use sound doctrine as a weapon and weaponize that against each other and and others who had a lower view of sound doctrine than them. And I'm looking at both going, I really want you guys to learn from each other. There's a lot that the thinkers need the feelers to teach them about. And there's a lot that the feelers need the thinkers to teach them about. And I think I said in the book that the the thinkers often look at the feelers uh, and see them as thoughtless. And the feelers often disregard the the thinkers as lifeless. And uh, more often than not, both are completely right. So why do we have to choose? Let's have an
1: intelligent faith and a passionate one. I mean, even from a purely scriptural standpoint, when the Bible talks about our heart, it talks about not just the seat of our emotions, but the seat of our will and our intellect and our mind. And throughout scripture, they're almost synonymous terms, head and heart. And so Hmm. we are meant to be people who are, both thinkers and feelers, that those two things are two sides of the same coin in how we're created. And I think it's just like every other area in our life, we have a propensity to not be comfortable with tension. So Mm, we lean more toward whichever one we're more comfortable with to the detriment of the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and that's what I tried
0: to do is I want, I mean, I, I, I want this Nolan. I know you want this too, is I want a Christianity that is committed to theological clarity because sound doctrine matters, but in a way that intensifies lived Christianity and intensifies the life of the heart and, and a right feeling both in, worship corporately and individually as a follower of Jesus. And so the way that I structured the book was was taking attributes of God and then not just doing a a theology on the attributes of God. It includes that, but then asking the question, okay, how does this attribute of God lead me into a particular experience with God and of God in the day-to-day of my life? And so I, I, I looked through the scriptures going, okay, what are the key biblical texts and, and, and how do which one how do these naturally pair with various Christian experiences or, or vice versa? Sometimes, you know, I would take a, a biblical theme of lived Christianity, you know, say for example, patience, and, and then I'd ask the question, okay, what is true about God that deepens an appetite in me for this particular experience? And so with that one, for example, you know. The attribute of God that, that I need to help me cultivate a daily experience of patience is that God is faithful. The faithfulness of God, his timing is perfect. His promises are true and unbreakable. And if, if that's true and it is, then he's never behind schedule. And when I actually believe that, that God's timing is perfect because his promises are true, because he's faithful, now I can become a person who is less less hurried in my own life, who is more patient, more willing to listen to other people who I disagree with, who frustrate me, but to understand that this is not a, a negotiable part of Christianity. This is one of the key fruit of the spirit. Wow.
1: Well, even as you talked about that, it just made me think about how earlier you were mentioning pride and you know how pride comes out in our prayerlessness, but it seems like pride comes out in our impatience. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, so, I mean,
0: what is impatience? But but a form of pride where I believe my timing is better than God's timing. Mm. I mean, that's, that, that's what impatience is when you get down to it. And that's actually, I think why, you know, Solomon and all his wisdom in, in uh, you know, Ecclesiastes seven, eight, he says, better is the end of a thing than it's beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And I just find that fascinating that he juxtaposes patience and pride In other words, impatience is a synonym for pride because patience is a juxtaposition of pride. So when I really become convinced that God knows what he's doing, that he is on the throne, that he is is sovereign, he is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, he is faithful, he, he inhabits not only everywhere of the universe, but every when of the universe and of time as we know it, my heart can learn to rest and and now breathe
1: out patience, which is a a form of faith and worship and and trust in him. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking about being in an airport and you and I both spend a fair amount of time in airports. and, And one of my pet peeves is anytime someone just casually strolls in front of me without looking and they're going, first of all, they're going slow. And then I get irritated and then they stop. And I always think, what a prideful, arrogant person this person is! That they didn't look to see the lane that I was in, and in that moment, I'm betraying my pride and and my arrogance, and my impatience, and my lack of concern for them. And so, pride just seems to be the besetting sin of all this stuff. It is,
0: and 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 listen, let's just be honest. That person still needs to be rebuked for working too slowly
1: <laughs> in an airport. Amen. <laughs> And and I'm about to confess my sin here. I did tell the story to my family at the dinner table one day. And I was proud of myself. I I said, this genius thing happened at the airport. I said, this guy's walking toward me. He's looking at his phone and he's just dinking around on his phone. And it is clear he's going to run into me. So I stayed in my lane and I just whispered under my voice, look up, look up, look up, look up, look up, look up, look up up, until the last second he heard me and he jumped. And I was so proud of myself. And I shared that at the the dinner table. And my daughter said, how incredibly prideful that was of you. (laughs) She's like, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> I no, I'm in the right here. Daughters I mean,
0: give the the best rebukes. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So pivoting a little bit, and this is just moving a little bit away from your book for a second, but it just seems like you kind of were describing earlier about your personal experience growing up in the church that you did and then kind of going through a personal reformation. It seems like all of us, everybody I talk to, it seems like there are almost like pendulum swings in our theology where we start somewhere we swing and then we can't seem to get any sort of balance until we have done that swing do you think that that's like necessary is that just a common human experience or or, or is there a way to avoid the swing in our spiritual lives
0: that's a good question i i think i think i agree with you in in our, our tendency to overrun because we'll run away from a formal position that we held and go, okay, I was wrong on that. And now I want to get really, really far away from wrong. Right. And so we just keep running. And unless we have, we have wise friends, pastors, counsel, spouses around us that can help dial us back you know if we don't have that we're, we're in a lot of trouble which is why theology and community is so
1: important when you said that i was thinking about a guy that he grew up in a very very pentecostal church environment and it burned him and his family to the point that he would use the phrase that he was allergic to charismaticism right yeah right and so it was a complete swing to the other side i think it's just age i'm just like i'm I'm tired of being mad at the people who are swinging. I just kind of want to let them swing a little bit and then eh, they'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I, I think, I
0: think, no, that's, that's what wisdom is meant to look like. And so as we, as we get older, we, we should be, if we, if we're maturing, in Christ, if we're if we're sanctifying forward in likeness, which we know is an up down process, but there's still a, a trajectory happening there in our lives, then we should be becoming more gentle with each other. I would even say that flexibility, in one sense, is a mark of maturity. It's not that you're flexible on your convictions; it's just the way that you 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 work those convictions out. You give people more leash and more rope to disagree but you're not going to break the relationship over it. You're not going to, you're not going to, you know, anathematize them and and excommunicate them functionally from your life and cancel them, but you're going to, you're going to walk with them. And man, me and all of my friends, we all disagree on something. So, and if we made that like an ultimate thing there, then I'm going to have no friends. So, so my hope is that as I get older, there's going to be a, a, a more winsome, flexible, gentleness in the disagreement I have with my convictions and others' convictions.
1: Yeah, I can say that one of the best examples of my life is one of my co-pastors, Steve, who just turned 70. And uh, he was one of the original founders of our church back in 1977 mm. and is still on our elder team today as a retired guy who's 70 years old. And in meetings, he is just so gentle and ironic. And there are times where I look over at him and I know that he disagrees. And this is a guy that he's, he's got some fire in him. He's got some, Hmm. some burn in him. And I, and I know he has strong opinions and we'll be in an elder meeting and there'll be a, a young elder or a young elder candidate. They'll say something that I know will get his goat. And I look at him and he's just smiling. And I think that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be.
0: Amen. Well, I mean, think of it like this, even this just this just struck me then as you were talking who is the most screaming demanding kind of person a toddler right a baby so this this need to project and yell and scream to get your way is literally a mark of infancy mm-hmm. and maturity is what a parent is meant to be maturity means incarnating into entering into That experience of the toddler, the child correcting absolutely when necessary, but you're not, you know, kicking your kid out of the house because maturity meets them where they are and then and then walks with them so that they might grow and become less demanding over time. So I think you just said that Twitter is a mark of immaturity. Twitter is a child care center. It is a daycare center on there. We're all enrolled in some
1: way, shape, or form. But I will tell you, honestly, I would say the last two years, Facebook has become much, much worse. <laughs> like, it has got to been coming. So I want to ask another weird question because I want to just have fun with this one. What are in your life theological positions that you held maybe to a high degree, that would be the most fun mm. ones, but it could even be to a lesser degree that over time you changed on and maybe even changed on and thought, you know what? That wasn't really even that big of a deal. So yeah. what yeah. what have you got? Give us give us some <laughs> big ones or small ones or just this give us what do you got? What have you changed on? I mean, there's there's a few.
0: I mean, the, the the big one for me, the the really big one for me, would have been my reformed theology. So I'm reformed in my theology, but I was very extremely Armenian, and I mean like like chat room Armenian, like that kind of level <laughs> of of. And this is back when chat rooms were a thing, right? <laughs> yeah, in the earlier days of the internet. But like wanting to argue about this, and you know, the the, the great defender of free will was was how I would have seen myself. And and then I got in so I got into this really um solid argument with John Piper on reformed theology. Mm. And and That's I'm saying remarkable. all this stuff, and, and he's saying all this stuff, and I'm saying all this stuff, and he's saying all this stuff, and, and I should clarify he didn't know any of this. This is just very one-sided. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm speaking so John
1: Piper books. <laughs>
0: So I'm I'm arguing with John Piper and, and, and just, you know, going back to the Bible on everything. And he mocked the floor with me on this particular issue. There's nothing quite as humbling, Noel as getting your butt kicked by someone who doesn't know that you are fighting them. There I was (laughs) in my early twenties and and, and I remember, I, I mean, I, I wrote like, like for me, this was a really big deal. And I was trying to prove him wrong on the doctrines of grace and TULIP and all those things there. And, and I'm just, I'm at this point where I'm putting everything on the table. I'm just going, what does the scripture actually teach about this? And I started to wrestle. And I remember when it finally started to dawn on me that I was wrong and how frustrating that was. I yelled uh, to my wife across the house we were living in at that time. I said, babe dang it. I I think, I think he's right. I think, I think I'm wrong. And I was so frustrated by that. It was so irritating to me because again, it's, it's, it's humbling to admit, oh, I was, I was totally wrong, completely wrong. And, and, and then that began a journey for me where I started to wrestle and think and study all the more and more. And, And, and so that would be, that'd be a major one for me where I'm, uh, now happily reformed and just just resting in the, the sovereignty of God's grace toward us. And then there's, you know, smaller ones along the way, like, you know, eschatology. I think I've, I've changed teams three different times on that oh, one.
1: We're doing a series right now at our church going through the Apostles' Creed. And there's the statement of Jesus descended to Hades or Jesus descended to hell or descended to the dead, depending on what translation you have. And one of my co-pastors was teaching that passage. And so he asked if he could meet with me because he wanted to talk it through because it's a big one. He, said, he came in and he goes, so what's your position on this? And I said, well, I used to hold position A and now I hold position B. And he goes, you do? Why? And I said, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, so I think sometimes we, we have to not take ourselves so seriously. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't yeah. take the word of God seriously, that we don't really strive to believe what's scriptural. But we, I think we just got to stop, I don't know, being so dogmatic, even with ourselves and give ourselves and other people a little bit of grace. Even
0: when we don't change our mind, that we would become warm to brothers and sisters in christ who we don't see eye to eye on on that particular issue and not just tolerate them but but love them we, oh, so have, have genuine affection and warmth for them i think for me just to give you another one where i didn't change my mind on this but i softened in the way that conviction is exercised so 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 i would hold to you know credo baptism believers baptism and a number well, that's because you're ones. right that's because you're right yeah um <laughs> keep going <laughs> And, and you know, a number of years ago, I I went through a period where I just wanted to really understand uh, what it was I thought was wrong and and just read everything I could on pedo-baptism and and stuff of that covenant theology piece there and just looking at the best voices within that. And and because I love church history, I really wanted to see, okay, what did the the, the first, second, third generation of of Christians do as they worked out, you know, this pretty important part of our faith? And as I did that, I didn't change my, my theology on that particular one, but I understood better now where my, my Baptist brothers and sisters were coming from. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't become, even though I don't change my practice, there was a softening that happened there. It's like, okay, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you mean. This isn't going to end the world us disagreeing on this and practicing this. It it might change some things in the way that we gather and worship and and maybe aren't in the same church sometimes with one another. And that's okay, but there should be a genuine warmth for each other on these second order, third order doctrines.
1: Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, I did an exercise where I went into my Twitter feed and I deleted about two or 300 people that I agree with And I added about two or 300 people I disagreed Mm. with on theological issues. And it was a little bit of an exercise to see if I could change the echo chamber. Right. And what ended up happening is it balanced out my feed and I began to read the other side. Right. And so you start Mm. to see on both sides, you're like, and then people begin posting their papers and the books that they're reading. And so I found that I began to read books that I disagreed with. So like, so like I'm a complimentarian and by the way, I love that word, but I think it has just been dragged through the mud in our culture. Okay. And, and I don't think it means what people think it means. And I, I hate, it's just the best word, but I have <laughs> egalitarian friends. I have friends who are women pastors. I have a lot of respect for them and what they're even just writing online. And I have hmm. just learned in that area. I don't think I'm a soft complementarian. I think I'm a robust complementarian, but I really appreciate the other side of that argument. Amen. Uh, I, I could not agree more. And in
0: the exact same boat and, and even reading egalitarian authors or even complementarian authors who work out their complementarian theology and practice differently to what I do. I need, because, because again, this isn't going to, we're not, we're not, we're not going to hell over this one. Like this is where we believe our doctrine of grace. We're, we're secure in Christ, right? He's going to persevere us right through to the end. And there's going to be a bunch of stuff we're wrong about. So the way that we work out our convictions now, can we just, can we just do it as Christians and look Christian in our disagreement? Can we speak in disagreement with a christian accent when it comes to the way we go about voicing our, our theological convictions and i think that's what that's that's the point of what i'm i'm trying to do in this lived christianity across the board there i don't want to just tick right theological boxes i want that to change the way i live and worship and love people around me
1: yeah, it's like Os Guinness says that we've lost the art of disagreeing agreeably and I think about Jesus's words when he says they will know you are my disciples by your love that you have for one another. Yeah. And just that simple statement, this ought to be the defining characteristic. And at least in the country that I live in, it's not, people don't immediately think love when they think of Christians. And so I think that's why people in a lot of ways are abandoning the faith Because we are not behaving the way that Christ has called us to behave toward one another, not even toward people outside the church, outside the faith, but toward one another. And
0: that's where, my goodness, you just hit on something that's so, so dear to me. That's where, I mean, Francis Schaeffer talks about orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community. And that orthodoxy of community is talking about the felt experience of love that marks christian relationships within the body of christ as this is the this is the validator either this is present and our claim that christ is risen is is validated by the way we treat one another or we vandalize our claim with anti-gospel ugliness in the way Mm. we treat each other and at the end of the day it does not matter how accurate our doctrine is If we are missing John 13, 34, and 35 as normal and obvious parts of our Christianity, we are not orthodox, regardless of Mm. what we believe. Because orthodoxy includes not just our theology, but the way then we live it out.
1: Maybe that's why Paul said, uh, watch your life and your doctrine closely yeah it's both of yeah. those the book uh, that you've written is amazing i highly highly recommend this book truth on fire by Adam ramsey and but i do on a parting shot on our way out today i just want to ask you a, just a dumb question and then other than your own book what are you binging on these days maybe it's a book oh, maybe it's a series maybe it's a drink maybe it's a snack what are you binging on these days that everybody should know about
0: that is a good question okay if If it's a book, I I reread last year, just in December, actually, so pretty recently, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is the 1850s novel by Harriet Beecher Stowe. And it it was my favorite book I read last year. I I read it a, a year and a half before that, and it was my favorite book that year as well. I cannot recommend enough. If you have not read that book as a Christian, read that book. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible, not just in the you know I mean Lincoln credits it with helping spark the Civil War that then led to the abolition of slavery in America, but there's few books and all that I read and and tear up, genuinely tear up as I'm reading it because of the beauty I'm seeing in a character and their love for Jesus within this, this pretty compelling story. I put that book down and and with genuinely wet eyes just sort of said to myself, I want to be a better person now just from reading that book. I just, I want to be a better person. I want to love Jesus. Like some of these characters in that book loved Jesus. So so I would, I would just say, if you've never read it, or if you haven't read that one in a long time, it's an oldie, but it is a real Goody.
1: That's awesome. There you go. Well, Adam, thank you so much for jumping on and being the first guest of 2022. I can't wait to see your face in person sometime, probably uh, before glory. Soon. But if not, we'll just see you in glory, I guess, if COVID <laughs> continues forever. So thank you so much for being on. It's so good to be with you, Noel. Thanks, Nate.